In the name of Jesus, the Word made flesh, my dear sisters and brothers in Christ. With the beginning of a a new year, oftentimes brings various reviews of the previous year. And so this week, as I was kind of looking at some of these things, to be reminded of all of the things that took place in 2021, I was reminded of a major story that didn't happen all that long ago that I had actually forgotten about. One of the biggest stories in 2021, and it didn't even involve COVID. After 13 years and numerous appeals, pop icon Britney Spears was finally removed from her conservatorship. Did you hear about this? Her father was her conservator, this relationship that meant he, he was in charge of her entire life. He managed all of her finances. He told her where she could go and what she could do and when she could have shows and when she couldn't tour. And after 13 years and numerous appeals, that conservatorship finally ended. Now, some of you are laughing and rolling your eyes, but this was a big story, especially for someone who grew up. She was the voice of my generation. This is a big deal. And and this conservatorship, while it's kind of a new thing, I remember a lot of people looking at it and going, this is weird. Why would someone do this? It's actually a whole lot more common than you realize. Some of you have probably even taken part in something very similar, have had to serve in a similar role. If you've ever had to be an executor of someone's estate, or if you had power of attorney over a loved one, you kind of served in a similar position. They're also common in Hollywood when it comes to not just really old people who can't manage their lives anymore, but also very young people for the same reason. And so you get some of these childhood stars and what, they're supposed to manage their millions and millions of dollars or know anything about how to take care of their Roth IRA? A conservatorship is actually something that is intended to be a very loving, gentle, kind, caring thing. But the vast majority of these conservatorships don't really go that way. And very few of them end well. You probably know this too. If you haven't experienced it firsthand, when you had to be the one in charge of delving out your mom's or your dad's estate to loved ones and relatives who feel like they got screwed out of something that they should have been given, then maybe you've read the stories. I mean, they're, they're endless. They pop up in the news all the time. The, the, the adult woman who moves into her elderly mother's home to, to do the kind and loving things that daughters are supposed to do for their aging mothers, and so she's there to take care of her, but, but unbeknownst to everybody else, she's really just siphoning her mother's life savings, spending it on anything and everything that she can possibly find online, until the money runs out and so she starts to sell her mother's prescriptions. And without her prescriptions, the mom dies. 
or, or again, this isn't just something that happens out in <clears throat> the real world. It, again, you, you see this in Hollywood, right? These young childhood actors who are thrust into this 80-hour work week at the age of five or six, and, and so mom and dad lock him off from the outside world because he needs to focus on his craft and his career but the reality of it is they're just doing it so that mom and dad can continue to fund their new plush lifestyle. So many of these conservatorships are intended to be a good thing. But they become legalized slavery until the family falls apart and, and along with it everyone who's involved. This is the picture that the Apostle Paul uses this morning as he shares with us his Christmas account. And of course, the Apostle Paul uses a picture. That's what Paul does. You see, Paul writes some of the deepest and the most dense theological words and sentences and paragraphs and books in the entire Bible. And so to help us digest and internalize his deep, difficult words, Paul oftentimes will use a picture or an analogy to help us. And the picture that he uses this morning in Galatians chapter 4 is a picture that he's been establishing now for a couple chapters already and a picture that he's going to continue to go on to build on in Galatians 4 and 5. And that picture is the family. The family. But not just any family and not even a family in the way that you and I picture a family. We hear the word family, <clears throat> and we immediately think of the, the nucleus, right? We think of dad and mom and kids. But in the ancient world, the family included a whole lot more people. It wasn't just mom and dad and kids it would also include grandmas and grandpas and aunts and uncles and cousins and distant relatives. Everybody would live under the same roof or at least on the same property. And it didn't stop there. Included in that were also all of your workers, your servants, your employees. And all of those servants and all of those employees also had families. Dads and moms and kids. And they all grew up together. They all lived together at the same address, doing the same things. And so the children of the master and the children of the servants were all raised under the same roof, doing the same things, essentially treated the same way. And if the state was large enough, the master of the house would also hire what was known as a pedagogue or a, a, a child's teacher. And, and there was a stigma for being a pedagogue in the ancient world. You had to be tough. And you had to be strict. And you had to whip these little snot-nosed brats into shape one way or another. And so there, there were no teacher's pets. 
And there was no bringing your pedagogue an apple and having this beautiful smile on her face, no. No, every day you went to class and you were afraid. You were terrified over what the pedagogue might do to you today if you somehow missed an answer or didn't finish your homework or weren't paying attention. And yet under that teacher, all of the children in the family, the children of the free and the children of the servants, all learned together. Just as all of the dads were out in the field or out in the factory working together, and all of the moms were together doing everything that needed to be done in and around the home, so these children grew up together, were trained together under this tyrant of a teacher. And that's the picture that Paul's working with. That's what he meant when he said, what I'm saying is that as long as the heir, that is the child of the master of the house, the child of the free, as long as the heir is a child, he is no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. He is subject to guardians and trustees, a conservatorship, until the time set by his father. So also when we were children, we were in slavery under the basic principles of the world. So Paul is giving us this picture of the, an ancient estate and the children of the free and the children of the slave are all bound together under the same harsh teacher, under the same master. And the question is, Paul, what in the world does any of this have to do with us? What is Paul using this picture in order to teach us? Well, well, who are we in the picture? Well, Paul says we are the children of the slaves, of the servants. And our master, our teacher, as Paul calls it, the guardians and trustees, or the, the basic principles of the world, the thing that is in authority over us is the law of God. And while Paul is sort of laying out for us what this relationship looks like between us and God's law, he's already well established this picture at the end of Galatians chapter 3. Here's how he describes it there. Paul says, we were held prisoners by the law, locked up. The law was put in charge over us. We were under the supervision of the law. Does any of that sound good? To be a prisoner? To be locked up? To have a supervisor hovering over your every make and move? No. To live under the law of God is exactly what Paul makes it sound like. It's a terrifying place to be. Not because the law of God is terrifying. The law of God is good and perfect and beautiful and just. Living under the law is a terrifying place to be because you and I are not. We are not perfect or 
righteous, far from it. And so every possible way that we can, we transgress against this law of God. To continue the picture, we're the troublemakers in the classroom where the teacher is God's law. We are the ones who are constantly being made to sit up in the corner of the classroom or get our wrists slapped by the ruler or worse. We, we break God's law every imaginable way, in our thoughts, in our words, in our actions, when we love something or someone else more than we love God, when we don't love other people as much as we love ourselves. This is what we confessed earlier. And because of that, God, I deserve your punishment both now and forever. We deserve to be put in the corner or to have our wrists slapped or worse. And all of humanity is under this terrifying curse, this curse which Paul has said earlier in Galatians 2 that ultimately leads to death. The right and just punishment for our sins. You see, this is the fundamental problem of the human race. So often, we look around and we, we want to focus on the problems that surround us rather than the problems that are inside of us. And so we look out at what are the big problems that can and need to be solved in the world. And so we focus on things like sickness and suffering and poverty and war and conflict, that we have troubles at work or strife in our families, the fact that we live in a fallen world. And Jesus himself said it would be this way. Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble. And we should not be surprised to find out that Jesus was right. But you see, those problems around us are really just symptoms of the underlying problem that is inside of us. This problem with my sin and with yours. A conflict and strife that resides in our hearts and in our consciences. And that's the problem that Paul wants to preach to us. That he wants to make us aware of. And, and, and it just gets worse and worse. It's not just that we sin from time to time and, and, and by mistake. We actually like doing it. The Bible actually says that we are born with a proclivity to sin. That we have this, this magnet inside of us that draws us to break God's commandments. And so here's maybe the hardest pill to swallow of them all. We actually love the very things that kill us. And this love for sin, it looks different in each of our lives. 
Some people are more drawn to the temptation of lust, while others are drawn to greed, or anger, or bitterness, or laziness, or pride. And to add to that temptation, the devil stands behind each and every one of us, one of them, and he whispers sweet nothings. He makes promises with each of them. Promises that, that this sin, this temptation, is the key. If you truly want to be free, you can't follow God's law. If you truly want to be free, you have to follow your heart. Even though your heart and mine is enslaved by sin. Or, or if, you, if you really want to be happy, then you just need to do the things that you love. Even though so often the things that we love are the things that kill us. This is the problem. And because it's a problem that is not just around us, but a problem that is inside of us, there is nothing that we can do to fix it. No self-surgery that we can perform to remove it. We can't protest sin out of our hearts, and we can't legislate ourselves into being righteous. As long as we are under God's law, we are under God's condemnation. Our only hope is a Savior, a Rescuer, someone who can deliver us from sin, death, and condemnation, and friends, this is exactly what Jesus Christ comes to do. Remember who this Jesus is. Jesus is not just another law teacher. He's not just another law giver. He's not just another pedagogue. No, he is the Word of God incarnate. He is God from God, light from light, very God or true God from true God as we confess in the Nicene Creed. This is the Word made flesh who was with God from eternity and who somehow is also God Himself. Through Him all things were made, and that includes the law of God. Jesus is the creator of the law, which means that He is above the law which means that he is the master of the law, that he is not subject to the law because the law is only for lawbreakers. The law has no power. It has no dominion over Jesus. Jesus is superior to the law. And yet in his incarnation... Jesus comes to place himself under the law. To keep the picture, Jesus is the master of the whole house. And yet, he makes himself into a child 
of a servant. Under this law, this law that that punishes us and terrifies us, this is where Jesus places himself. This This is what Paul said, but when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law. Now when you and I think and about and, and talk about Jesus, we tend to focus on his death and his resurrection, rightly so. But realize that neither of those matter. If Jesus doesn't arrive at them, perfect, holy, righteous without ever having committed a single sin. Unless he lives a perfect, sin-free life under the law, and yet that's exactly what Jesus does. He is perfect in every way. In his thoughts, in his words, in his actions, in his love of God over everything and everyone else, in his love for other people, all people, including you and me, ahead of his love for himself. And yet despite the fact that Jesus perfectly kept the law, despite the fact that he was tempted in every way, just as you and I are, yet was without sin, despite the fact that Jesus is the only person who has ever been born of a woman to not sin, the law still treats Jesus as a lawbreaker. The law still treats Jesus as a sinner. The law still treats Jesus with the same harshness and terrifying wrath that it treats you and me with. Under the law, Jesus is beaten and pierced and crushed and nailed to a cross. So the law claims power and dominion and authority over Jesus when in reality it has none. And in doing so, the law has gone too far. The law, with the devil standing behind it, does what it cannot do, and it condemns innocent man, the innocent man. And because it does this to Jesus, the law has now lost its power over you. Jesus is born under the law to redeem, that is to rescue those who are under the law. That's you. The authority of the tyrant is broken and you are redeemed. You are rescued. You are set free from the law and from your sin and from the fear of death. And Jesus not only sets you free from some things, he also sets you free to become something new. He doesn't just pull you out of the dark dungeon and the enslavement of your sin, he also brings you into the kingdom of his light. Paul says, Jesus redeemed you, and here's why that we might become, 
or that we might receive the full rights of sons. And that's a fine translation. But literally what the original language says is that Jesus did all of this for you that you would receive the adoption as sons. Do you see the difference? It's not as though we are just now promised the full rights and privileges of being sons when in reality we're really not. No! Paul says, because of Jesus, you have been adopted into the family of God and you really are His sons. And because you are sons of God, because the Son of God has made you sons of God, you now receive all of the rights and privileges as such. Brothers and sisters in Christ, you are no longer under the law. For there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You are no longer a slave to sin, for you died to sin. So how could you, die? How could you live in something that you have already died to? You do not live under the fear or the power of death anymore. For in Christ, you have been raised and you have passed from death into life. You do not belong to the devil anymore because Jesus has rescued you from the devil's dark power and brought you into the bright, beaming kingdom of the Son that He loves. You belong to Jesus. You are a son of God. And because you are a son, you are also an heir. So that wherever and whenever the will of God is read, do you know who the beneficiaries are? You. Jesus even teaches us to pray for this. Yes, we pray for health and healing and peace in our families and for a good job and for good children and to have a blessed life, but Jesus makes us bold to ask for even more. Father, I don't just want your stuff. I want your kingdom. I want it all. Jesus says, pray this. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. And in Christ, your God and Father always answers with a yes. His kingdom is yours. His life is yours. His eternity is yours. His forgiveness and strength and comfort and peace are yours. His very Son is your brother. His Spirit dwells within you. And that Spirit, that Spirit is your new teacher. And He's such a better teacher than the law. That Spirit, He's a better master who doesn't lord over you with threats and punishment, but who lords over you with grace, who doesn't demand from you like the law, but promises to you 
everything in love. My dear brothers and sisters in Christ, sons and daughters of God the Father, fellow dwelling places of the Holy Spirit, yes, after 13 years, the conservatorship of Britney Spears has ended. And that is one of the biggest headlines of 2021. Your conservatorship, however, ended when you were baptized, when you were brought to faith. And it's such a bigger story. You were brought to faith. You were set free. You are no longer slaves. You are sons of God. And since you are sons... You are also heirs, heirs who are standing to inherit all that is his. Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.